Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, where, to be honest, in comparison to last week, this has been actually a bit of a quieter few days for Everton, but there is still lots and lots for us to discuss. Transfer rumours, tours down under, takeover latest, we've got it all on the agenda. I am your host, Adam Jones, today joined by Chris Beasley, Joe Thomas and Gav Buckland. And as I say, we'll get into stuff about the takeover a bit later on and uh, yesterday as we're recording an announcement of uh, a tour down under. But uh, Bees, I think we've probably got to start with some transfer rumours. I think that's what's dominating the conversation at the minute. And uh, the rumour from a couple of days ago in particular uh, surrounding Anthony Gordon's future. Uh, Obviously, last week we had Spurs' interest in the Everton winger, but uh, a few days ago, I think it was in the Telegraph that it first came out, uh, that Newcastle were potentially interested in what they reported as a £35 million swoop for Anthony Gordon. Now, I did see some division on this on social media when when that came out. What what were uh, were your thoughts on on that? Well, 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 first of all, um, Adam, the day's not over yet. So, I mean, mm-hmm. this time um, last week, um, we were still waiting on the biggest news <laughs> yeah. of the day. Um, obviously, with the takeover. But, yeah, transfer transfer talk. Um, Anthony Gordon. I mean, it's a curious one. I mean, Gordon is obviously a, a player in demand. Um, as you say, Tottenham Hotspur tried to get him as part of a joint deal with Richard and Everton weren't entertaining that at all. And certainly, I, I imagine that sort of numbers that were taught in Tottenham Hotspur for... Anthony Gordon, be that in a joint package with Richarlison or a standalone offer afterwards, would quite derisory, really. That's you know, ten million pounds with the figure that was quoted. You know, a player of his potential, all he's achieved over the past twelve months. So that one was curious, and and I had heard from from the, the Tottenham man that the gen, that the interest was still was still there, but. Then yeah, like say Newcastle United, obviously they've got money to burn there. The new owners, you know, the new Saudi owners, they're desperate to make a splash and bring in some sort of marquee signing. So he'd be the sort of signing if you were Newcastle, you could try and go after bright young English player who's really come on leaps and bounds in recent months and perhaps a marquee signing for them. But I think because of Richarlison going, I, I would imagine that Everton wouldn't want to be doing business at all, despite as much as this is a much improved offer and perhaps the sort of offer in different circumstances that you may have considered. I just think that the message coming out of the club after they sold Richarlison um, for, for his fee and then as seen as being one of the, the club's saleable assets who perhaps needed to be moved on this summer so the squad could be reinvested. They've done that now. They don't need to sell Gordon, but it, it's just sort of indicative, I suppose, of the situation Everton find themselves in at the moment. Come off that tough season, only just stayed up. There are financial issues at the, at the club, obviously, in terms of they've had recorded a big loss again. And okay, the Richardson sale does improve them from a financial fair play point of view. Clubs are testing the water, aren't they? And, uh, and it is actually sort of the sort of bid that might make you sort of consider it. I'm not saying that they ever would say yes, but rather than just throw it out completely like the world the Tottenham offer. I mean, it, it is interesting and why I understand the player wouldn't be rocking the boat to um, to leave um, Goodison Park the, this summer, but it, it might not be the last we've heard on something like this. Mm. Well, I mean, while I say there was a split among uh, social media from the fans that I was looking at, I do think it was heavily weighted on one side of the argument. You know, a lot of Everton fans really, really do not want to see Anthony Gordon leave Joe and... You can understand that, can't you? Especially from you know the last few months of the season that he has. You know, I think he was young player of the year, players player of the year. You know, he's a he's he's not just a popular player among the supporters, but he's popular in the dressing room. He's popular with the manager as well. It, it just seems like it just seems like it'd be a very strange sort of PR move almost on the club's part if they were to allow Anthony Gordon to go, doesn't it? Absolutely. You think that 
obviously the the financial situation at Everton's you know well known, but we're into a new financial year now. We've sold Richarlison, you know, for that package, which makes things a little bit easier. You know, approach from the the word from the club is that they don't need to to carry on selling players, and you know if they were to let Gordon go and, and everything from the club has been saying that they have absolutely no intention of doing so um, this, this summer and they wouldn't entertain bids for him. But if they were, it would be, it would send out a terrible message. It would be a, a PR catastrophe. I think he's, you know, one of those, he was the bright spark of a terrible season last year. He's a local lad who, you know, clearly loves the club. One of the things I've found quite impressive about Gordon is, you know, during the season, you know, especially the last few months of the season when I took up this job, I'd be going to Finch Farm to the, the press conferences on a Friday. And normally as you're coming in or as you're leaving Finch Farm, there's, there's a group of um, supporters there looking for autographs, things like that. And a few times I saw Gordon, even in the midst of a relegation battle when all the pressure was on Everton and so much scrutiny, you know, he'd often be sat there in his, uh, you know, in his car with a window down speaking to supporters and you know signing autographs and things like that. He's clearly somebody that's got uh, a rapport with the fan base and you know when you look at the loss of Richarlison you know he was you know iconic he was someone who could get uh, you know Goodison on its feet and someone they could rally behind and don't have too many other people like that but Gordon is is one of those so you know even if uh, even if a, a, even if a bid came for serious money you'd have to think if you're Everton what kind of message would it send if we were to let him go already in the process of trying to replace Richarlison, and already in the process of trying to strengthen a side that was found wanting in several areas, particularly attacking last year, you know, that would only, it would only make the recruitment side, it would only make the squad strengthening side harder whilst also sending a, a really poor message to the, to the fans. I also think it's quite interesting now that we're away from the, the, the football season from last season to see the, um, it's quite interesting to see how, Gordon is viewed by other clubs because the message last season when Everton was struggling, you know, there was so much negative hype around him, especially when you think about the Merseyside derby and, you know, Lampard very publicly defended him after that. You know, so there, was, there was so much negativity around him, almost this, this, this sense that Everton fans were creating the image of a, of a good player when actually, you know, he wasn't such a bright talent. But... All of a sudden, we're outside the football season, and and you know, directors and boards are looking to appease fan bases, and clubs are looking to strengthen for next season. And all of a sudden, we kind of see a, a slightly different approach, where he's, he's perhaps being recognised as having had the great season, the great breakthrough season that he did have last season. And you kind of realise how much of that is just game playing during the case of the season by by fans and other managers and things like that. One thing, one positive to take from all these rumours and, and the interest in Gordon is the fact that it's clear that the footballing world in general obviously high, holds him in higher esteem that they were perhaps letting on. But what that does do is it shows that Everton really do have a gem in Anthony Gordon and, and to let him go would not only really weaken the side, but as I say, it would be an absolute catastrophe PR-wise. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I suppose, Gav, what lies at the heart of this really is that Anthony Gordon kind of stands out uh, over the last few years, doesn't he, as yeah, an academy talent that Everton haven't produced in a long, long time. Somebody who's managed at you know, a fairly young age, he's still only 21. He's considered the first team regular now. You'd find it hard to drop him out of the side. You know, As Joe quite rightly saying, his kind of attitude and courage in the latter stage of the season were almost setting an example for the rest of the squad, really. And that's something that Evertonians you know, have a long history of being able to do, but maybe haven't been able to, you know, connect with a player like that in 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 a long while. And that, I think I think that's what sets Anthony Gordon apart from a lot of other players in the squad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think if he was um, say somebody coming from Spain for a nominal fee and a play for a couple of years or a year, and there was talk of selling him for thirty-five million quid. The response from fans may be slightly different. Mm. Um, 
the fact that he's a homegrown player, which we've not really had, would be would Barkley be the last one? Potentially, uh, I would I would probably, probably. say so. Yeah. yeah, goes in his favour. I'm a bit. I can, I know I fully understand why there's a like a little bit of a split here. I'm still not convinced that he's a proper Premier League player yet. Um, I think Newcastle will. A bid would coming in will be buying his potential. Mm. Wouldn't it really? Because mm. he's not. It's nowhere near the finished article. He's had one good season and a poor team. And when someone would say not even a good season, there's been times when he's been good. So there's that aspect. The other, which you think, well, I'll tell you what, somebody give us 35 million quid for that. Yeah, I'll have, I'll have that. And um, the, the other side to the argument is, is it's potential. And what happens if he realises his potential? We sell to Newcastle for 35 million quid or every club, and then he goes off the scale, you know, and you think, oh, we could have been ours. We mm. we've had the, the back end, bad end of the deal there. So I can see why there's a division. My sort of balance will be seeing we sold to Charleston and, and I agree with Joe and stuff. It's not exactly a a um a deal you'd want to sort of you know uh, get involved in at this this stage. I think I think also as well, given our financial situation, you'd rather have somebody there sitting down, wouldn't you yeah. really? Who's costing us nothing. Mm. Um, so I think we should keep for the moment, but on the basis, but on the basis that he's certainly not proven as a Premier League player, week in week out. But hopefully he'll turn into something uh, a little, you know, a bit more above that. But mm-hmm. I, I think it's a really good point, Joe. Like what it shows is that he's on other clubs' antennae, and actually he's probably, you know, that and that that's good, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That, that's good. it's good for him, isn't it? Imagine mm-hmm. his confidence now going into pre-season when there's big clubs. You know, yeah. showing an interest in him. It's going to be good for his confidence and self-esteem, isn't it, really? As mm. well. Um, so that that's uh, that that's going to be good for him. But I, I keep, but I can see why there's a bit of a division. Mm. I suppose in that sense, Bees, you know, as, as Gav is rightly saying, there are big clubs interested in Anthony Gordon. And we have seen recent reports, subsequent reports, suggesting that Everton want to tie him down to a new contract. Mm. Makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, um, it's come a long way in a, in a short space of time. Because you know, it, it, you're almost wondering, start of last season, as much as he showed great potential and he'd been highly regarded as a prospect for for a long time, was he going to make it happen? Was he going to establish himself as a first team regular? And like we said, he has. He's done that in the, in the toughest of seasons and shown season pros um, how to do it. But yeah, I think it would definitely make sense. Um, Probably deserves that new contract based on what he's done. Anyway, even if these clubs um, weren't showing interest, I think he probably be within his rights to be getting rewarded for the, the, the season that he he's had. And I mean, it wasn't that long ago that he was knocking on Carlo Ancelotti's door, looking for an explanation of why he wasn't getting into the side. Um, I think um, he's probably benefited a, a lot from um, the, the loan spell at Preston North End, second half of the, the season before the last one, I remember I was speaking to in January. We managed to get him down for a one to one. He was great value for us. And um, he explained how it sort of gave him a, a wake up call, really, that, you know, as a Premier League prospect coming through Everton's Academy, playing in the Championship wasn't where he wanted to be. And you don't have those sort of luxuries that you have in the top flight. So I think he, he learned a lot from that spell at press and he's come back a much. Um, better player for, for it, and he was the sort of one dragging them over the line uh, in many respects last season. So yeah, whether or not these teams were interested, I think it would be prudent to draw them in new, improved terms now anyway, and get him to commit the, to the future because obviously he's two years away from the, the stadium move now, and you want to have a, a good young team, a sort of core of young players who can only get better on that type over that period to, to move into the new stadium. Mm. And I suppose, Joe, on the other side of things, uh, incoming transfers, there's not really been any concrete bids or anything like that from Everton as of yet. Uh, but one name that does keep getting brought up is Armando Brogia from uh, Chelsea, on loan at Southampton, of course, last season. Uh, from what you've seen of Brogia, what do you uh, what do you make of him is, and in his credentials if he were to come over to Goodison? I like him. I mean, me, yourself, and, and, and I think it was Connor earlier on the week before the Brogia news started to break. 
you know, each did a thing in which we chose who we most like to sign from an attacking perspective, and and, and mine was Brozier, um, coincidentally. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot to like about him. Obviously, he's young, he's hungry, he, he fits that bill of the type of player that you think Everton are going to need to have to sign to, you know, players that can move forward with the club as it looks to kind of, you know, rebuild itself and become more competitive in the, in, in the Premier League and push further up the table. You know, he, he has a composure in front of goal. We saw that from Southampton um, last season. And, you know, I think he offers a lot. It's it's an obvious thing to link Everton to Chelsea players in the moment. Obviously, the Lampard connection is just so so clear. And, you know, you, you put that together with the fact that Chelsea, perhaps more than anybody, have the, the biggest stable of talented youngsters that are farmed out on loan every single season. And you'd think, add that to Everton's financial predicament and you'd think surely there are there are a lot of things pointing towards Everton going to Chelsea and almost Lampard going to say well who can I have and the reality is where Everton find themselves at the minute most of them would, would strengthen you know if and the feeling the feeling the back end the feeling from Lampard the back end of last season on Conor Gallagher was that when he went back to Chelsea he probably looked to stay and, and fight for his place this coming season because of the strength of the season that he had last season at Palace Obviously, we don't really know where that's up to now because obviously there's been so much. I mean, we you know, it's been a roller coaster of summer already at Everton. It's been the same at Chelsea, and you know, we don't really know where Tuchel is with with some of his you know what would be fringe players at the moment, likes of Gallagher, likes of Billy Gilmore, likes of Amanda Brozier. Um, but it's obvious to link them, and you think the interest would be genuine. There's there's no way in which Broha doesn't strengthen Everton's squad. You know, he's, he's clearly in its current format, depending on what system you want to be, he's, he's pushing for a starting lineup based on what they've got. One of the things I've been quite interested in is that some of the reports suggest, um, you know, moving for Brozier on a, on, on a permanent deal. Well, you know, I, that surprised me slightly because obviously he's a young talent. You'd imagine Chelsea would want a decent chunk of money from him and Everton have got several positions in which they need to strengthen. And you'd think that they would try and spend as little as possible as they accumulate a squad that's going to be more um, competitive. So you... You know, a loan for Brozier might make more sense for both clubs because it would help Chelsea keep hold of an asset that could grow in value if he has another good season. And it will give Everton the opportunity to strengthen their squad without having to spend as much money. But as, as far as I'm aware with, with, with Brozier, he's someone that uh, the, club have, the club have gone to Chelsea and basically said, keep us keep us informed of any developments on his future. You know, they, There's no concrete bids or anything like that, but there is a genuine interest there. And I'm sure there is probably a genuine interest in, in, in a, few, a fair few of the Chelsea players. Obviously, Brozier, it's interesting to think about. And the same with Billy Gilmore. I know Gilmore didn't have anywhere near as good a season on loan as Brozier did or as Gallagher did last season. But obviously, he's another player that looks like he has a good career in front of him. But Gilmore and Brozier are both players that Lampard handed their first team debuts to. So you'd like to think that there's a bit of a relationship there. So, you know, with Brozier, there are a lot of... You, you could join the dots to paint a very compelling picture for why, you know, Brozier might well, certainly be on Lampard's list and why he might want to come over to Everton, whether it be as part of a short-term loan deal or whether it be as a permanent uh, thing. So, But I think he's one of, he's certainly one of many, many players at Everton are kind of keeping tabs on it at, at the moment. But if he's available and he's open to coming over, then I, I, I would leap at the opportunity to get him if I was Frank Lampard. Hmm. I think Joe brings up uh, an interesting point about the price tag there, Gav. I mean, depending on which reports you're reading over the last week or so, I think in the region of 25 to 30 million is is the kind of ballpark figure that Chelsea would reportedly be looking for if they were to sell Brozier permanently this summer. And I know that like Richarlison's just left the club, Everton have picked up quite a sizable fee for that. And that has helped steady the ship in, in, in a certain way financially. But... You know, there's still there's still a feeling that Everton have to be careful with how they spend the funds, isn't there? You know, Roger, while he did have a promising season last season, it's not as if he's a proven article as of yet. So, what what would you make if Everton were to splash out? You know, they're only these are only rumored fees, I suppose. But yeah. you know, if Everton were to splash out something in the ballpark of that fee to bring Brozier in, would you be comfortable with that, or would you would you uh, would you rather see those funds sort of diverted elsewhere? Um, depends what who else we sign, I suppose. Mm. I, mean, I was going to mention amortization of transfer fees, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I, I think financially, I, I listened to the pod on Monday, and you know, it's not 
Dave Powell was saying, as you say, it's not not out of the woods in any shape or form with our finances. So it doesn't necessarily follow that all the money we get for the Charleston and however it works out financially that we're going to reinvest it all. So we've still got a very tight ship. My thinking is, is that 25, 30 million for one player is quite high. So for all the reasons you'd say, say why um, you wouldn't sell Anthony Gordon, and I'm saying he's unproven at Premier League level to a degree. Needs to find his feet. You could say the same thing about Rose, you couldn't it as well. You know, so I think it, on face value, it, that seems a lot of money for somebody who scored what six goals is it last season? Seven six goals. goals in the Premier League, yeah. Yeah, more in other competitions. Scored 15 in the Premier League, I think I'd be interested, but it seems quite high fee. Mm-hmm. I, I just think we're going to see a little bit of a summer similar to last year, to be honest with you, but just that maybe a little bit more extra cash. It's quite um, interesting because yeah. you, you see all similar outlets reporting that Everton might be looking to spend 30 million on Brozier, but then also 20, 25 million pounds on Morgan Gibbs White early this week. And, you know, I mean, I'd be very, very surprised if um, if, if the two things could hold the, the if, if there is the money to do so, they've probably got the money for one of those signings rather than both. And, it's quite interesting yeah. seeing different outlets kind of almost hedge their bets on both, surely knowing that both can't realistically happen. You know, I think um, that, that would be my yeah, that would be my 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 feeling as well. Um, I think that there's also, I mean, if you sold sold somebody else for money and got browsed in, that might be a different kettle of fish. Of course, it's whether. You said said earlier on in the season, earlier on in the year, that I could see two outs of Calvert Lewin, Rich Allison, Pickford going during the year, during the summer. I still think that's a viable, viable option. You know that that could happen, and if that happens, then it's a different conversation, isn't it? But in answer mm-hmm. to your question, I think twenty five million or something for a player a bit unproven, Premier League quality and experience seems a hell of a lot of money for me and uh, as well as just being a risk no mm-hmm. i do like the idea of a younger player who can go on for big things and you know do something say like lukaku who did in 2013 mm-hmm. who came mm-hmm. came here with a similar record i know he had the good season at west Brom. sorry this his record at chelsea wasn't similar to bros to southampton wasn't it so mm-hmm. yeah yeah too much mm. but i think it bees what what gavis just said at the end there that's that's the tantalising prospect that comes along with a yeah. with a player like Brozier, isn't it? You know, I've seen you know a lot of statistical reports about Brozier, and apparently he's not really as central a striker as people believe. He drops yeah. off into the flanks a, a lot, a lot like Richarlison might have done when yeah. he was playing as a central striker. And you know, I've seen some suggestions that he might actually be able to play out wide. And you know, we've seen. Well, I think we've come come to the conclusion over the last couple of podcasts that we've recorded that now that Richarlison's gone. Everton probably aren't going to be able to replace him like for like with one no. sign, and they're probably going to need to make a couple of signings in that position. Do you think that Brozier maybe fits into that mould in that sense? Yeah, he, he fits into that mould, like we were saying, those hungry young players. I mean, it's what David Moyes started doing 20 years ago when he started in the job. Got um, a piece that we're going to be running tomorrow, um, 20 years since. Joseph Yobo became Moise's first uh, wow. signing. And um, you look back at that sort of deal, again, Everton were in tough, um, sort of tight financial position. It maybe made, he initially arrived on a season-long loan, so it wasn't a big outlay to start with. Also an unproven player in the Premier League, so see how he fared both on and off the pitch. End up being like um, you know, one of the outstanding players of the, the Moyes era. And... Yeah, you can't just replicate history and think that you're going to get exact same results. But I, I would like to see that approach. I think it's very similar to obviously the start of the Moyes reign in terms of where Everton are at and what they sort of need because so much has been spent, as we know, overspent at times on older players and uh, play uh, or, or players who just didn't have the potential to be sold on at a profit or um, weren't going to get any better. Um, I think Kevin got to try and be a bit more canny now with both Lampard and Kevin Fellwell. Sort of look at those targets. I mean, Tarkovsky, I think most people think will be a very astute signing. It's what they need at the back that, that toughness, that resoluteness, just that availability, the fact that he's, yeah. you know, he's always fit. 
But around him, I'd, I'd like to see some some younger players, players who you you're going to have to take a chance on to a certain degree because they're not the finished article who could get better and could sort of develop again that idea going forward to the new stadium in two years' time. Try and build something gradually. You know, you know, you're not going to be able to. Um, what I'm sure he's done in his early years is spend big bucks on A, B, and C and have something right now. It's something to develop over the next couple of years or so. And yeah, you, you're going to have to take a chance on, on some of them. But I do like the idea of young, hungry players who can get better over the next couple of years. Mm. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Speaking about the transfer window generally, Joe, I mean, it, I mean, we, we see a lot of impatience around transfers. I think it grows year on year, really, doesn't it? But yeah, Everton's Everton's rivals are strengthening. Yeah, Leeds especially, I think, have signed about four or five players, haven't they? Something like that. Uh, and Everton have only brought in James Tarkovsky. As we've said, there doesn't seem to be any real concrete bids in for anybody else as of yet. Does that concern you with, you know, I think it's less than a month to go until the start of the new Premier League season? Or do you think that's more of just a reflection of the market and obviously Everton's financial situation within that as well? It doesn't concern me yet. Um, you know, I think you alluded to there a couple of things, Everton's financial situation, obviously the priority after, you know, Tarkovsky was a deal that was done early and there's a deal that, I mean, four years for a 29-year-old might represent some of what Everton needed to do in order to get him in the first place, I suppose, if they had much rivalry for him. But obviously, he's someone that clearly strengthens the side in a key area. Um, but I think almost the priority from Everton's perspective was probably getting rid of, not necessarily getting rid of someone, but having a, a landmark sale for, for the books and then almost reassess where they are at that point. I think... Yeah, for all Everton struggled last season, they, thought, you know, they, they, they were very unlucky with things like injuries. Um, that's not to say that they can have any complacency going into the next season. You, know, you can't, you know, from what we've seen, it would be absolutely ludicrous to go into next season staking um, Everton's campaign on Mina being fit for the whole time. Or on, or even on Patterson being fit for the whole time after his injury, or Calvert Lewin, or or, or Alan, yeah, there, there are clearly issues all over the park with players that either consistently have injuries, are getting older, or you know, or have had big injuries in the in the recent years. Obviously, Godfrey spent a lot of time out last year, so Everton can can't go into this season under any illusion that they need to have a degree of strength in depth to to cover from this. It, it wouldn't be bad luck next season if if we lose players to injury and there isn't cover for them that being said i do think that everton's squad even as it is, is is better than it was it's better than it performed last year you know i think with a with a with a manager and a coaching staff that had a albeit a truncated summer because of the winter break to actually work with them and obviously the back end of last season and hopefully formulate a plan and tactics for there to be some degree of strategy there um, and everybody's singing from the same hymn sheet which there wasn't last season i think that leaves everton in it in a better place. Obviously, you know, like you say, like to Leeds, Brentford, Newcastle, you know, Villa, they're, they're all strengthening and Everton have got to be careful of that. They were hopeful or, you know, they may still be hopeful having signed somebody else before they go off to America next week. Um, and obviously they were in talks with Jesse Lingard last week. And I think he's gone to America to see if there are any interest in them out there. I mean, whether you, whether your thoughts on whether Lingard strengthens Everton or not, he might be in America when they are next season, next uh, week, so talks could potentially continue. But time's running out for there to be another signing before before America. But I think I think everybody agrees. Everybody who follows Everton would agree that more business needs to be done. I think I think this has, I think this will probably be a sign. I mean, these are horrible words, boring words, words that were very much kind of like used for the style of Everton's play at the back end of last season. They tried to stay up, but 
very much going to be a summer of pragmatism and, and, and compromise. It's trying to build a squad that will not end up in a relegation battle while spend being as savvy as possible in the in the transfer market. I think when you look at what Falwell and Lampard have at their disposal at the moment, it's limited transfer funds, albeit that may be because of financial regulations rather than there being actual problems with money at the club. Um, but also, you know, it's still a squad that's bloated with players that are on big contracts that Evan would probably look to move on. And, and so far, we're less than a month away from the uh, beginning of next season. A number of those players are, are still there and some of them may have to be moved on before we get a lot of incomings. I think next, I think the real summer of difference, that the summer of the revolution will be will be next year. That's That's the real opportunity to completely you know, do a complete U-turn and completely overhaul the squad because so many of the players are out of contract next year. You know, obviously the likes of Alan and, and Rondon and, and Gomez and all those type of players. That will, if Felwell and Lampard are still there, that will give them a big opportunity to kind of overturn the playing staff, you know, in the year then leading up to, to Bramley Moor. Obviously, first, they've got to get to that summer with everybody, you know, still in their jobs and Everton still a Premier League club. I think, there's a lot of irons in the fire, a lot of conversations. Um, you know, there's still three weeks to go before the beginning of the season. So I wouldn't be panicking just yet. But you'd, you'd hope that, say, you know, in a fortnight's time, you'd hope that there'd be some movement because obviously the squad at the moment, albeit better than it probably came across last year and, and stronger in relation to, to fitness because they'll be carrying fewer injuries, it does need... It does need strengthening. They they can't yeah you know, they can't stand still. I don't think because most other clubs in the Premier League are moving forward. So you know losing Richarlison, bringing in Tarkovsky, yeah you know, that that doesn't leave Everton stronger at, at the moment. And I think they're gonna. I think Lampard's gonna have to be very savvy about how he uses his funds. And that's why he said if there is if there is a, a twenty twenty five million pounds signing that there is available then. You know, maybe if I was looking at it, I might look more towards someone like, obviously, I think Everton need more than one attacking option. So if, if you had the opportunity to spend £20 million on one player, I might perhaps look at someone like Emmanuel Dennis or Maxwell Cornet, players who had decent enough seasons and struggling sides last season, still relatively young, have Premier League experience, you know, obviously gettable because they're at championship clubs. You know, I'd be looking at maybe bringing one of them in on a permanent and then looking at someone like Brozier as a loan deal so that for, for that outlay, you're actually getting two players that you know give you more options next season rather than, say, for instance, blowing it all on Brozier, who might be available on loan, and then having nothing else to play with and then you know being in a situation where you're one injury away from catastrophe. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I'm not, not panicking yet, but obviously they are going to need to be busy. More business needs to be done. Um, if we're sat here in a fortnight's time, having come back from America, and there's there hasn't been a, a, an influx of new players, then I would be, be concerned. Mm-hmm. I think that's a level-headed view, personally, and I think that's probably a good way to round up our transfer talk for the time being. So let's move on to the next topic, Gavin. Of course, we've got more takeover news to discuss, obviously, after... You know what? Yeah. A Friday, the haunted bees' dreams. <laughs> last week. We've, had, uh, we've had more updates at the start of this week. Obviously, the US-based consortium uh, that have been in talks with Farhad Mashiri. They released a statement earlier in the week, uh, and they said, "As a general principle, we prefer to conduct our business in private to create the fairest environment for those involved, and in this particular situation, to minimise uncertainty." Uh, for fans of Everton. It is regrettable that this has not been possible. Uh, And then they went on to say that we will not be making further public comments at this time. Um, Gav, to be honest, it seems a bit weird to me that they would say something like this now after (laughs) a couple of weeks of uh, very much talking about uh, their their perspective interest in Everton. And something like this just kind of muddies the waters a little bit, doesn't it? And I've seen a lot of Everton fans on social media over the course of the last few days, maybe asking a few more questions and having a few more concerns about the direction that this could possibly be going in. Yeah, it, just just to tell Joe, in, in my world, words like pragmatism and compromise are very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> They're not boring at all. <laughs> this is my lifestyle, you know. 
Just to jump in there, I think I said that Gomez is out of contract next season. I think he's 2024, so that, that's correct uh, my mistake there. I was, I was just about to say that, actually, Joe. That's <laughs> my motive is there, you know. Uh, now, seriously, Ad, you know what? And I think you was, again, talking about this on Monday. The, the main thing for me about the, the takeover is just the unsettling impact on the club. Mm. I'm sure it's affecting some of the business decisions at the moment. I'm sure it's affecting some of the cash flows. Um, I'm sure it's any new owners might want to do stuff in new ways. Mm. I don't know, that's part of the you know your, your, your sales pitch as a new owner. So it's just it's just about it's it's just whoever buys the club and if it is up for the sale and blah 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 and when is buy to buy. The one thing is if it just carries on and carries on, it has an unsettling effect. Mm. And that, that's the main the main thing for me. It's not public talks. I know there'd be news and perhaps one outlet. Um and there may be two or three people involved. I'm interested in what the impact is on the football club and our plans for next season, as we've just spoken about here. And I'm sure some of the stuff we've spoken about on this pod and policies of who we buy and how much we've got to spend and all that. And when we buy, some of it is to do with the take some of it's influenced by the by the takeover talk. Mm. Yeah, and, and that's that. That's the concern for me. Mm. And um, you know, Farhad has said in the past, hasn't he? You know, while I'm around, money is not an option. But if he wants to sell, then you know, what money's there might be different. Different kettle of fish, mightn't it? Mm. So I just that's that's my main thing. It's it just it's just it's just the unsettling effect of uh, of on 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 the business. Side of things and ergo on the on the football side of things and um, the sooner it's sorted out, the better. But it was a bit bit odd, wasn't it, last week? Mm. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, this you know what it reminds me of, and this is no no slice in heaven. Martin Yall said when he was manager of Fulham said that um, for all the gloss and glamour and you know the most watched sport in the world and the you know the billions of pounds and stuff, he said at its heart. Football is run on a very amateurish level, mm. and you saw not not this is not about Evan. You saw some of that last week, didn't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, no. We said we said some messages last night. You know what facts? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, come on. Yeah. You know, within the twenty first century, man. You know, mm-hmm. just <laughs> this is this is the thing, isn't it? For all these people with billion pound plans and stuff, some of it to me. Proves Martin Yall's point. Mm, yeah, and um, you know, I, I have a laugh about it. It's the effect, effect on the business, and that's whatever's happening at the moment. I would imagine is affecting our plans for the summer, undoubtedly. Mm. Mm. Well, I think I've hit on a really good point there, bees, because you know, especially the kind of stuff that, yeah, as Gav mentions, was happening last week. It did kind of seem like a, a, an almost public squabble from yeah. from both sides of both sides of this proposed deal, I suppose. And, you know, I I suppose that's what uh, this consortium are trying to hit on with their uh, statements as well, saying that it's... Because it is unfair on the fans, really, isn't it, to be able to see these sort of dealings. Fans shouldn't be subjected to that. These are the kinds of conversations that should go on behind closed doors. You know, this is... this. it, It just seems... It just... It almost seemed on Friday to me like a like a tug of war between yeah. b- between those two sides, and you just never want to see that with Everton in the middle, do you? No, um, yeah, it was, it was bizarre. I mean, obviously, we did a, a, a couple of um, stories, joint vine lines with myself and Dave Parlar, business of football um, writer. I mean, obviously, I'm by trade a football writer, the same as yourself, and he and he's uh, he has been a football writer. He's now our our businessman, our mm-hmm. man with the contacts in the business world, and between us. Uh, we were getting briefed by people in the machinery camp, getting briefed by people in the consortium camp, and giving totally different um, messages. Um, it just seems bizarre. Is it, is it, is it, is it on or off? Um, and one of them is saying, you know, that that's it. The deal's dead. Move on. The owner is committed. And then um, this this group, the consortium, the people are telling. Um, our writers that um, were the only show in town was the actual phrase that they that they they use. Yeah, I'm I'm, cons- I'm concerned. Um, it could rumble on whether it's them or whether it's other potential 
bidders. That's what I'm concerned about now, that it, it could rumble on. And I'm also concerned that I'm not too sure about the credentials of this group. We were told that you know money wouldn't be a problem with them. They had more than enough. And for all these briefings that were going on and various bits and pieces, and they were hoping to have it done by the time they were uh, actually in Minneapolis, which happened to, to be you know their home city, that they were actually hoping to even strike a deal by then. And um, yet when it came to the crunch, when it came to seemingly making the offer and putting the, the cards on the table, however you want to phrase it, that something went wrong there there was um, there, there was a problem and that's where it, the, the, the big snag came so i'm concerned we don't know a lot about these people what their credentials are like i mean we said i said myself on the podcast a couple of weeks ago we can't be naive about this and think that there's some billionaire lifelong blue you know an equivalent of a 21st century jack walker who is gonna you know come save everton after being in the boys' pen with Bill Kenwright all them years ago, you got to wonder what are they, ultimately, whoever comes in, they're going to want to long-term make a profit on it. That's what they all want to do, between that and an ego sort of side of things. But I don't know a lot about these people, I don't know a lot about their credentials. That's what I'm concerned about with, under Mr. Mashiri, for all that he's got wrong, and he's got a lot wrong by his own admission, with that public apology to all Evertonians at the end of the season, He's put his money where his mouth is. You know, he squandered great amounts of money, unfortunately, to Everton's detriment. Seldom as a team spent so much to get so bad. But that's not because he didn't have the means or he didn't um, have the vision. He put all that money up. He was probably badly advised on many, on many occasions. I just don't know a lot about these people or what sort of background they've got or why they're wanting to come in here. So for the deal to sort of collapse the way it did last Friday and all the confusion and conflicting reports, I can't for me be good for Everton and perhaps it could actually be a, a blessing in disguise if, if for whatever reason this particular group doesn't make it. But we just don't know. And like you say, it's it's the fans who are, uh, who are suffering in, in the meantime. And obviously the, the team as well, because as Gav mate has said, um, decisions might be affected by, by all this uncertainty of what's going on and may, maybe that's one of the reasons they, they haven't spent any money. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I mean, uh, as the lads have quite rightly said there, Joe, I think the fact of this rumbling on for any any sort of period of time is exactly what Everton didn't really need in this summer. You know, uh, if this was ever going to be a, a need for a summer of clarity than it was absolutely now and and you know you you, you do wonder how much this the these sorts of rumors and reports and speculation if they are to continue and rumble on and if they're potentially to affect like obviously we don't know whether this is the case but if it is to potentially affect you know on pitch dealings off pitch dealings obviously you know funding for Bramley Moore is really at the heart of where all these negotiations started wasn't it as well so you, you can only imagine that that is that is going to be involved in all this as well. So it it just it just creates a really really frustrating situation for supporters. You know at the at the base level, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean it's more uncertainty for for supporters. You know, supporters who had to go through you know, a horrific relegation battle last season have gone into a summer thinking, well, things might be you know things might improve and we might be able to start making progress under a you know new manager and new director of football and all of a sudden there's something else to, to worry about. You know, I think in relation to the impact it has on on-field decisions, I probably view them as a bit more separate at the minute. Obviously, we know that profit and sustainability and Everton's proximity to that doesn't change if they get new owners. And you would think that, you know, you would, obviously, if there were to be new owners, their interests lie in the same direction as, as the current owners and that surely they want the on-field team to be on-field aspect of, of the club to be performing as, as best as possible and you know given given the proximity we have to the new season you have to think they did place a degree in of, of faith and trust in what Lampard and Falwell are doing have done so already and 
perhaps some of the preparations that they've laid out for, for the rest of the window. But the uncertainty doesn't help anybody. Of, of, of course it doesn't. And, you know, I, the statement was an interesting one because, uh, as we've already alluded to, you know, asking, saying it's regrettable that these things have played out in public already. I mean, well, where's it come from originally? Because I don't think it came from, I don't think this came out into the blue through from, from, from the Evans side. I mean, looking at where it came from, it appears that whether it, whether it was good journalism or whether it was fed to, you know, fed to the people who originally broke this, then, you know, it seems like the, the news must have come from, from that side. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's not helpful. Um, and it's, 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 it's strange because it feels like, and we'll only find out in the long term whether or not Kevin Falwell and, and, and Fran Lampard are, are taking the club forward um, from a from a footballing perspective. But everything that they've done so far makes sense. You know, Lampard has united the fan base behind the club at a time when it really needed to. You know, just about managed to keep Everton up last season. Um, yeah, and you've got. Kevin Farwell, you know, did a big piece on him yesterday. All the changes that he's made at Finch Farm suggests that all those, you know, all those new jobs that have been created and are being sought, all the new appointments that have been made, it feels like there is a real clarity of vision for what is going on from the Finch Farm perspective at the moment. Now, whether they're hampered by you know, financial issues, whether they're hampered by, you know, having to get rid of players before they come in, you know, they might be hamstrung by all that. But at the very least, it feels like sensible decisions with a strategic view in mind of being made by those in charge of the football operation of the club, which hasn't been the case for, for quite some time. Again, as we've all already alluded to with, you know, so many of those transfer signings and that have been made under, under Mashiri's tenure so far. So it feels like you go into a summer and just as you finally got that bit sorted, or at least have got it to the sort of point where I think from the outside, I think we can have a degree of confidence or hope that, things are moving forward from, you know, from the changes that Fowler's introducing and, and the impact that Lampard's had. You look at what's going on, uh, the, you know, the financial side, the boardroom side, and you think, bloody hell, like more chaos. Everton is not a club that needs more chaos. Granted, the, you know, there are arguments to say that, you know, some upheaval might lead to progress in the future. But at the minute, what we have is we, you know, we have more weeks after the end of a difficult season, we have, we have a summer where there's more uncertainty, more confusion, um, more ambiguity about the situation the club is going to enter next season in, and and and, and none of none of that's helpful. Um, you know, it might be part and part of business and, and things like that. Might be part and part of, of, of football at the moment. Obviously, you know, we're seeing a, a lot of takeovers. It's not really a surprise that these conversations have come. Um, to, towards Everton, um, as they have with so many other clubs in in you know, the past eighteen months, but yeah, it, it it doesn't make the nights of easy sleeping um, after the end of a season, which I don't think anybody slept for for, for, for ages. So you know, we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. But one one thing, I mean, it did seem to be the the dream of this group that they'd be able to get the deal done by the time that Everton end up in in Minneapolis on. Um, July the July the twentieth, and you know that doesn't look like that's going to be possible now. I think these things can move very quickly once once provisional heads of terms are agreed. I think you know it's not unusual for the a transfer to take two and a half three weeks from from that point. But obviously we're we're, we're out of time for you know it's twelve days away uh, against Minnesota United, so that's probably not going to happen. And you know obviously there are questions about whether a takeover will happen at all now. I think. Um, you, you read a lot of the commentary on it and it sounds as though what this process might have done by being so public is potentially flushed out other potential investors, which on the one hand might be a good thing because there might be more, I say the word credible, I don't know enough about the Kaminsky group to say that they're not credible, I just know that we don't know very much about them. But you know, it might bring serious um, bidders to the table um, and that might not be the worst thing going forward. But what it does mean is it, it does mean that there's potential for this to rumble on into the new season and, you know, there's just to be another thing for Everton fans to, to worry about. Hmm. Well, I mean, we've talked about uncertainty there and we've talked about Everton going to the USA next week, but we've got clarity that in November, Everton will be travelling to a very different part of the world. Everton going down under to take part in the Sydney Super Cup, replacing Rangers in that tournament. Everton will be taking on 
Celtic on November the 20th and then Western Sydney Warriors on November the 23rd and Gav mid-season uh, friendlies for Everton obviously they're going on during uh, during the time of the World Cup of course aren't they so you know any players who aren't involved in the World Cup seemingly will be heading down to uh, to Australia with Everton uh, a good move and uh, on in your opinion um oh yeah yeah in the midst of an English winter or thereabouts or <laughs> for, uh, no no from a football side makes sense bit of competitive games bit of change of scenery well how long's the break for for the World Cup is it five weeks six weeks or something yes um, about that six weeks yeah yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if there's another trip somewhere along the line as well by the way um yeah make makes sense um Australia is decent place to go to at that time of year. Remember, we went there 2010. Um, mm. Went there 1987. We were talking about this before, Chris, were we? Yeah. Uh, went to Australia with Howard Kendall as manager and came home and Howard Kendall was probably not going to be manager. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm a little bit too... I'm long in the tooth, but 1964 might have been a little bit before my time. <laughs> um, the other, the other day, yeah, it, it's good. I mean, and get a bit of keep the players fit, change the scene, get a couple of quid. Um, uh, you know, everyone's a winner on this one, aren't they? It'll just be uh, just be weird watching. It's going to be weird in it. World Cup going on and whatever. And Evan, and we won't be only only club like that, mm. will we? So yeah, uh, good news. I trust there'll be a uh, drawing of long straws to see who's going to go. <laughs> if it is, you know, nobody wants to go. I'll go. You know, if, <laughs> you know, if, you, if, you, if it's a bit too much for you, you guys, I, I don't mind going. But no, it's serious. It's good, good news, and um, yeah, it'd be interesting to interesting to part of the world to play footy in, and uh, hopefully Tim Cale will make a. I can't see us being in Australia and Tim Cale not making an appearance at some point. Might play up front. <laughs> well, based on our previous conversations, you might be playing up front on the first day of the season, to be fair. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Gav, Gav, uh, Gav mentions a couple of quid there, you know, reports that uh, Everton could be earning up to three million for playing in uh, this tournament. It seems, you know, not, not even just on the football side of things, it kind of seemed like a no brainer, really. They weren't going to be doing anything <laughs> if, 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 if they didn't take part. Yeah. Yeah, and I told as, as Gav mentions, a nice time of the year, I suppose. I'm told it's, it's, it's just coming towards the end of the spring there in Australia, about 20 degrees in Sydney that time of year. So not the stifling heat of, uh, yeah. of Christmas Day, but um, maybe just right for them. No, but seriously, I imagine that the organisers of the, of the Sydney Super Cup are a bit frustrated that Rangers have obviously pulled out because mm. you're going to have the first um, old gate, old firm game outside of um, outside of Scotland. That would have been yeah. quite the coup for them. So. They'll probably still be smarting at that, but I mean, they've said publicly it's what was it? It's, it's got bigger and better, or something. So, or Celtic, something. Celtic said publicly it's got bigger, <laughs> and bigger which, is, which is quite, which is quite funny to be fair. Yeah, <laughs> Celtic was it? Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, um, game against game against Celtic, and then then a game against uh, West Sydney Wanderers, who I'm told that include Jack Rodwell on yes. um, the squad yeah. these days, who. Yeah, as, as Gav was talking about there, he was helping me out earlier. Um, I've been doing a piece on Everton's previous trips to Australia. And Rodwell actually scored um, a couple of goals on that tour in 2010, mm-hmm. last time they were down there. So maybe that's what gave him um, the sort of impetus to go and just sort of relaunch his career down down under, perhaps those good memories of when Everton were last there in 2010. Um, I think not just from the financial point of view, um, it'd be good for Evan to, to get out there and maybe work the Australian market a bit again. Obviously, it's it's, it's beyond the Cahill era now. Yeah. I was going to say um, Lucas Neal, he wasn't there very long at all. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, just to, to, to work themselves in that sort of region. Obviously, they're doing the work in the US again for the second consecutive summer this year. And that's part of their international strategy. But going to a different part of the world, uh, obviously, cultural ties with Britain, obviously, this is, uh, uh, the language as well. So it can only help, hopefully, on, on, on that score. You just don't want to pick up any injuries uh, on, yeah. on that trip. But, you know, maybe 
maybe it would have been, maybe that it was a blessing for, for Rangers not going and play Celtic in these situations. Maybe <laughs> Celtic might go a bit easy on yeah. Everton, but still, I don't. I say that it's still a scalp for you know the Scottish um, champions whenever they're coming up against an English side. You know, mm. if there's friendlies and then there's friendlies, mm. aren't there? And um, I don't know. I, I imagine there might be still a few tasty chances going. So just be a bit wary on that score. Well, it's their their manager's homecoming, really, yes. isn't it? So uh, yeah. you know, you can imagine he's going to want to. Make a decent impression on his on his return to Australia, but mm. I think Joe Bees hits the nail on the head. Really, doesn't it? It's not just about the financial aspect of this. It's about you know, in, you know trying to increase Everton's profile in Australia. I think Frank Lampard said in his quotes that obviously there's so, already so many passionate Everton fans out there. You know, largely down to Tim Cahill. Tim Cahill, you'll probably presume, but I think Bees is right. We we're kind of moving on from the. Tim Cahill era now, and this probably seems like a right time for Everton to go out there, as Lampard says, take the strongest squad available from those who aren't going to be taking part in the World Cup, and you know try and try and build even more of a profile out there. Absolutely, I mean it's it's a real opportunity for um, for Everton to do that, and obviously, you know, quite often when you go on preseason tours, how seriously the club takes it, you know, has an impact on how seriously the fans over there take it and the growth there, and. You know, as it stands, I mean, Lampard said yesterday uh, that, or in the quotes that were released yesterday with the confirmation that Everton were going, that he would plan to take a, a strong side. And as it stands, when you look at who's qualified for the World Cup and which Everton players are currently in those squads, there should be an opportunity for Everton to take pretty much a full side down there. I think Jordan Pickford's probably the only Everton player that you would anticipate at this stage being being in his team's world, his country's World Cup squad. Obviously, we hope that Dominic Calvert-Lewin has a good start to the season because he is somebody who could very well find himself in contention. I'm sure there's a few other players as well that, that could potentially do so as well. But in order to do so, they'll have to have blistering starts to the season for Everton. And obviously, we hope that's that's the case. You know, it's the type of thing you, know, you think of heading down there in the, in the middle of a, of a winter break and it's almost like anathema to, to a traditional football fan. You know, you think thinking that you know, taking all the players all around around the other side of the world and and playing in friendlies and, and things like midway through a season. But then when you when you look at it, kind of take a step back and you look at it, and you think, well, most of the squad's going to be available. They'll be halfway through a season, so they're going to need to maintain some degree of, of fitness for yeah you know, for when they return on, on Boxing Day. Um, you know, I say most of the squad will be available. You, you think you know, it's a six-week break? I think Everton's last game is away at Bournemouth on November the twelfth, and then they don't play again until Boxing Day, so you know, December the twenty-sixth. So that's, that's a long time. It's a long time to fill. I mean, I think more than anything, we're us and other journalists are probably grateful because that's one of one of six weeks of um, little domestic football mm-hmm. first yeah. right about filled up. So, and I think as well when I think as the as the weeks go on, we'll probably hear of more Premier League clubs planning more of these types of things over the course of that winter break. You know, it's just something that that, that makes sense. It, it's a good opportunity for a lot of Premier League clubs to put themselves forward in markets where they may not otherwise be able to do so. I mean, you'd think the Middle East might be one, but with the World Cup ongoing at the same time, p- perhaps not. But, you know, I wouldn't, albeit... Admittedly, other squads will be more depleted due to due to absences for the World Cup. I, I actually think that while I've not heard of any other clubs committing to anything like this so far, we might see a few more Premier League clubs start to do so over the next few weeks, and then all of a sudden it'll look like even better a decision by Everton to have tied themselves into something like this. You know, I think November twenty third is the last game. That's still a month until the next Premier League game, so there's all sorts of time there to recover mentally physically you know jet lag or injuries and could be a real good opportunity for some i think i think the winter break in general potentially could be more important for everton than it could be a lot of other premier league clubs next season one because at this stage unless there's a lot of unless a lot of business is done between now and, and the beginning of the season you know, Everton are probably going into this with, with quite a small squad, quite a weak squad. So the break might help them. And also it's one that's under a lot of pressure and needs to improve next season. I think almost breaking next season up into two mini seasons might might be quite helpful. Give give players a bit of rest, give give Frank an opportunity to kind of look at what's gone well in the opening months, what hasn't. Um 
and something like this might just help them get away from the you know from the from the media glare of, of the domestic circus and you know reassess things heading into the January transfer window and then as well. So and because obviously Everton have got are unlikely to have many players at the World Cup again. If, if the squad's struggling a little bit, come into that, or if it's running on empty, it re- represents a real opportunity for them to have a break. But and I, and I don't see Australia as getting in the way of that. You know, I think uh, I think it's I think it's a positive thing, and hopefully they'll boost their image over there and you know pick up a, a glut of, of of new supporters and you know build their relationship with the existing ones that are already out there from you know from the Tim Cahill days and from before. So. Mm-hmm. Exciting times and something to look forward to a little bit later on in the year. But lads, thank you very much for joining me. I think that's probably a good time to wrap things up for today. Uh, we'll be back next week with uh, Everton preparing to fly out to the USA for the start of their pre-season tour. And I'm sure we'll have more transfer news and more potential takeover news to discuss and anything else that might get thrown our way as well. I think we, we're, we've we learned to expect the unexpected in uh, this role. But thank you very much for listening. Thanks to the lads for joining me. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.